well, did you hear about the 75-year-old man who went to the doctor for one of those routine thorough checkups? And the doctor was so impressed. He said, you know, I know that you're 75, but you have the body, the muscle tone, the health of a man much younger, maybe 55. How have you done it? He said, well, doc, you know, I've been married for 50 years. He said, well, what's that got to do with it? He said, well, when my wife and I got married, we made a deal. She promised that if she didn't like something about my ways or my family's ways or my friend's ways, she would keep her mouth shut. I knew I could not make that promise, so I promised her if I didn't like something about her ways or her family's ways or her friend's ways, I would take a walk. So you see, I've led a mostly outdoor existence. <laughs> well, maybe you too have walked in anger. I've worked with many people who had trouble controlling their anger as a psychologist, and, and one of the big things to do was get out of the room. If you think you're going to hit them, leave. You think you're going to lose your temper, leave. Take a walk. Get yourself out of that situation until you get a little cooler. Well, maybe you've taken a walk in anger, and I sure know I have. Back when I was a college student, uh, I was working for the Medical College of Georgia there in Augusta. Oh, it's a university now, you know, but anyway, the, uh, I was in, had to catch the bus home one day, and I went out and stood at the stop and waited and waited in that Georgia heat that's just like today. And one bus came up and I waved him down and he just kept on going. And in a few minutes I thought, well maybe that's not the bus going my way. And so I, another one came by and just kept on going. Well I'd been waiting a good 20, 30 minutes in the heat and I was just exhausted. I'd had a long day of work. So I decided, I know the way. I'm going to walk home. And I don't remember how, it's about six or somewhere between six, about eight miles, six, eight miles. And it went through some neighborhoods. My parents would not have wanted me walking by myself <laughs> going down. So it was not a prudent thing to do, but I did it. And by the time I got home, I was too tired to be mad at the bus company. <laughs> so sometimes that works. That works when taxes don't come too. Well, today we're not focused on walking in anger, but walking in truth. That's what the writer of Psalm 86 asked God to teach. Well, you can think of the 86th Psalm as having kind of three parts. The first seven verses are prayer for God's help. And then the next five verses or so are, are a hymn of praise to God in the style of the wisdom tradition. Sharon was talking about the Proverbs, and some of that's in that Proverbs and wisdom tradition. And then the last four or five verses, they renew those petitions of the prayer, and they acknowledge God's help and mercy. When we have deep need, we pray to God. And the first seven verses or so of this psalm are a prayer from deep need as are the last few. And it's funny, they don't tell you a whole lot about what the need is. The psalm really tells you more about 
the God the psalmist is praying to than about the specifics of the situation. When we're in deep need, a lot of times the details really don't matter so much as that we need God's help. Well, each of these petitions or requests starts with an imperative verb. Incline your ear. Answer me. Preserve my life. Save your servant. Be gracious to me. Gladden the soul. Give ear to my prayer. Listen to me. They're requests, but they're like, please do this. They're followed by reasons. All of them start with four, four in the sense of because, for I'm poor and needy, for I'm devoted to you, for I cry to you all day long, for to you I lift up my soul. The last of the petitions or requests amounts to great trouble and affirms deep trust in God. There are several verses in here that make affirmations about God, that say something important about God, that the psalmist is devoted to, trusts in God, and claims God. The fifth verse affirms that God is good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. And the tenth verse says that about God, you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. And if you think about that, it's, it's essentially saying, I don't have anybody else I can go to. There is only one God to go to. So in the middle of deep need, the psalmist prays to God and turns away from his own desperate plight and refocuses on God as the source of all hope the source of any new possibilities. One of these verses quotes from back in Exodus where Moses, in, in that 34th chapter of Exodus, Moses is talking with God and God tells Moses about who God is. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. Well, in the 11th and 12th verse, listen for the word heart. One thing it's important to know is that in the book of Psalms, the word heart doesn't have anything to do with that organ that keeps us all alive. Heart refers to yourself, the soul, your spirit, it's the part of us that makes decisions, that meditates, that observes, that seeks and trusts God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, that is my whole self, all of me, to glorify your name forever. Well, you know, we Presbyterians have a, we have a constitution as an organization incorporated and so on. We have a constitution and it comes in two books. Now, this is not the latest one, but there's the book of order and it has rules and regulations. It tells us how many we have to have for a quorum and how often we have to do this, that, and the other and what things are important to have in the sanctuary. It's got all kinds of details that are important for being a Presbyterian church. 
and a lot of the reasons and a lot of the scripture that's cited. That's half of our Constitution. The other half of our Constitution is an equally thick book. It's called the Book of Confessions. Well, the Book of Confessions has various documents or creeds that have been developed over the years. Starting with the Apostles' Creed that we recite each week and that brief statement of faith that I've quoted from the last couple of Sundays. And there's also something called the Heidelberg Catechism. Well, that Heidelberg Catechism was written during the Protestant Reformation years, about 500 years ago. And of course, Heidelberg, a city in Germany that's close to France, as I understand. I've not been there. Maybe someone here has and can straighten me out. But anyway, it's, I understand it's near France. And this a catechism is, is a way that people used to learn about our faith because, you know, at that time they were just starting to have printing presses. They were just starting to have books and even only the wealthy and the scholars really had access to books. You couldn't go online and buy it for your Kindle or your iPad for cheap. It was a, a pricey thing for scholars. Well, so they used the catechism, a set of questions and answers. And I don't know about you, when I was a little boy, I had to learn uh, one of those Sunday afternoon activities that was permitted at our house was learning the catechism. And we learned the shorter catechism that's in what's called the Westminster Confession of Faith. It would have questions like, the first one I remember is, what is the chief end of man? And the answer being man's chief end, now that, nowadays we'd say humanity, so you know, but man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now in the midst of deep need, the writer of Psalm 86 turns to the one who listens, turns to the one who answers prayer, to the only one who can save. He turns to God, much as the Apostle Paul did at the end of the seventh chapter of Romans when he wrote, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our, our Lord. The writers of that Heidelberg Catechism, they address that kind of deep need too in their first two questions. The first question is, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer being that I belong body and soul in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me as well, that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And that's a great answer, but I sure am glad I didn't have to memorize that as a child. <laughs> the second question in that catechism is, how many things must you know 
that you may live and die in the blessedness of this comfort that was described in the first question. The answer being three. First, the greatness of my sin and wretchedness. Second, how I am freed from all my sins and their wretched consequences. And three, what gratitude I owe for God to God for such redemption. When you are in deep need, call on God. And if you want to walk in truth, pray with the psalmist. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in truth. Thanks be to God. I heard a story this week from a lady who was making, she was in deep need. She had a big decision to make, and she talked to a, a professor, a teach, Bible teacher, and he said, every day of your life, I want you to read from Philippians 4, the 4th through 7th verses, she did. She still does more than 30 or 40 years later. And the deep need that gave rise to that request was whether to become a teacher, whether to go back to school, and she did that well. It's a good set of verses to remember and a good charge for us today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So may grace, peace, and love, the triune blessings of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.